Welcome, welcome, welcome. Quackcast 52, plus or minus 2. This one is being recorded on the 26th day of September 2010. And is entitled, When Good Journals Go Bad. No long intro. Just remember, when you're done, go to iTunes, write me a glowing review that my fragile and voracious ego demands. Medical woo comes in all kinds of flavors. The completely ludicrous, with zero basis in reality. The magical fantasies of homeopathy and reiki come to mind. And then there are those that have a smidgen of potential validity. Some herbs, perhaps. For you English listeners, that would be herbs. And then there are those interventions that are subverted into the category of alternative. The big two, diet and exercise. A reasonable diet, for me that would be everything deep fried, no risk of infection that way, and a reasonable exercise program are well-validated ways to maintain health and well-being. The devil, of course, is in the details. Follow the food pyramid, or do you consume enormous amounts of vegan antioxidant foods? It is not unusual to find diet advice combining with reasonable, the borderline, and the wackaloon. The Udocs are a good example. They say sleep well, exercise, learn to relax, combined in the same column with tanking up on dietary vitamins like C and D, and picking certain foods to gag me with a spoon, boost your immune system. The slow gradation from reasonable to crap. The same occurs with exercise. Exercise is good, and us lard-ass Americans do not get enough. There are, of course, a variety of kinds of exercises, from Ironman triathletes, a risk for leptospirosis, because they like to swim in cow-piss-filled lakes, to yoga, which I've seen tear one vertebral artery. Oh yeah, you bet, I'm a great deal of fun at parties. And of course, people with medical problems may not be able to participate in the more vigorous workouts. Me? I had to give up years of running when I blew the disc in my neck. If I run, my arms go numb. As we get older, the limitations of age increase. Take fibromyalgia, a disease of uncertain etiology. One of its markers is diffuse pain that makes vigorous exercise difficult. Now, exercise has been shown to benefit them what have fibromyalgia, as it probably benefits most anyone who does not exercise regularly. In fact, as in all things medical, there's a systemic review and meta-analysis of exercise with fibromyalgia, looking at 28 randomized controlled trials comparing active exercise with controls and seven randomized controlled trials comparing different types of active exercise all of which summed up to 2,500 patients, and they found, quote, the amount and intensity of initial active exercise should be adapted to the individual level of fitness. There's a big duh. Patients should start at levels just below their capacity and generally increase the duration intensity until they are exercising with low to moderate intensity 
for 20 to 30 minutes two to three times a week. It does not seem necessary to assess the heart rate during active exercise to find the optimum intensity. Patients should exercise with an intensity at which they should be able to speak fluently, preferably in another language, with another person. The choice of type of active exercise should be left to the patient's preferences and comorbidities and to the local offers of active exercise, end quote. They suggest either land-based or water-based exercise, which, of course, begs the question, what else? Free-fall exercise? But mild to moderate exercise of all kinds is of benefit in patients with fibromyalgia. Now, general exercise would be preferred for patients with fibromyalgia, and both yoga and tai chi have been shown to decrease both pain and increase function in patients with fibromyalgia. So, fire is hot, ice is cold, and the New England Journal of Medicine is going down the toilet, probably clockwise because they're north of the equator. The New England Journal of Medicine follows up their absolutely horrendous clinical therapeutics acupuncture review, discussed a couple podcasts ago, with a clinical trial that Tai Chi is a benefit for fibromyalgia. I have no problems with either the trial or the results. Pretty magnanimous of me, huh? I give my approval to the New England Journal of Medicine. Ha, I'm that good. It was a reasonable clinical trial where they compared 60 minutes of Tai Chi that took place twice a week for 12 weeks against a control who had 40 minutes of lectures <laughs> and 20 minutes of stretching. It is of note that the Tai Chi group had three times the duration of physical movement compared to control. They found, quote, the primary outcome measure was the change in the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire score from baseline to the end of the 12-week intervention. The FIQ is a well-validated, multidimensional, it must be connected to a wormhole, measures of the overall severity of fibromyalgia as related to patients. Categories include the intensity of pain, physical functioning, fatigue, morning tiredness, stiffness, depression, anxiety, job difficulty, and overall well-being. The total score ranges from 0 to 100, with higher scores indicating more severe symptoms. End quote. And the results. The Tai Chi group had an improvement in their FIQ score, and they also had a corresponding physical component scores that were improved compared to the placebo group. Remember, this was a group that had a third as much physical intervention as the Tai Chi group. Although not a blinded study, I would have no issues with the outcomes, as it is similar to the outcomes of other studies of exercise in Tai Chi. What gripes me about the New England Journal of Medicine is they wrap it up in woo. Now I'm about to quote the New England Journal of Medicine, which is considered the premier journal in medicine, quote, Tai Chi is a mind-body practice that originated in China as a martial art. It combines meditation with slow, gentle, graceful movements, as well as deep breathing and relaxation, get ready to vomit, to move vital energy, or qi, through the body. It is considered a complex, multi-component intervention 
that integrates physical, psychosocial, emotional, spiritual, and behavioral elements. Because of its mind-body attributes, Tai Chi should be especially well-suited to the treatment of fibromyalgia, end quote. No qualifiers, no believe to be, just a flat statement that moves vital energy through the body. So, evidently, the New England Journal of Medicine suggests legitimacy to the 19th century idea of vitalism. I would have ignored this as a slip-up by the editors, but for the recent acupuncture debacle. It looks like the editors of the New England Journal of Medicine have no issue with the concept of vital energy manipulation. I get home from work. I'm tired, and I'm tense. And I have a routine. I put on comfy clothes, get my iPod out, and take a three-mile walk through the neighborhood, which is up a hill. If I can, I try and time it so I reach the highest point just as the sun dips below the horizon, and I will pause and watch the sunset. I see deer on occasion and watch the seasons change. I come home refreshed and relaxed, and I almost never miss a walk. Huh. I wonder, am I participating in a complex, multi-component intervention that integrates physical, psychosocial, emotional, spiritual, and behavioral elements? Well, not really. I don't have a spiritual side. But can you think of a single human behavior that could not be described as a complex, multi-component intervention that integrates physical, psychosocial, emotional, spiritual, and behavioral elements? Driving to work? Getting drunk at a bar? Sex? doing this podcast? Talk about sound and fury signifying nothing. And what is Tai Chi if you remove the woo? Exercise and relaxation. That's it. The accompanying editorial is equally specious. The positive results across all outcomes reported by Wang et al. are striking. With such provocative results, this study may have far-reaching implications. But several critical questions remain. How much of the benefit of Tai Chi is due to a placebo effect? What is the appropriate control for Tai Chi? What do these things mean for clinical practice? Provocative? Really? Far-reaching? What the hell? Have the editors lost their sense of perspective? How does this study compare to other evaluations of Tai Chi? Well, arthritis and rheumatism did a meta-analysis in 2009, and they found that Tai Chi has a small positive effect on pain and disability in patients with arthritis. The Journal of Cardiopulmonary Rehab looked at Tai Chi exercise for patients with cardiovascular conditions and risk factors, and they found that Tai Chi exercise may be beneficial adjunctive therapy for some patients with cardiovascular disease and heart failure. Or the Medical Sports Science of 2008 which looked at Tai Chi and falls prevention in older people. And they found equivocal results in preventing falls in the elderly. And they also looked at Tai Chi exercise in improving cardiorespiratory capacity. And they found, with one ex exception, that Tai Chi decreased blood pressure. Or they looked at Tai Chi for Parkinson's disease in Parkinson's-related disorders and found that, in this case, Tai Chi was not of much benefit for patients with Parkinson's. 
If you plow through the Tai Chi literature, you get the sense that if patients do regular gentle exercise and relaxation on a regular basis, that they have some benefits. Big duh. The only thing that separates this article from others, as best I can tell, is the need of the New England Journal of Medicine to wrap it up in magic and mysticism. You want to get published in the New England Journal of Medicine? Take a little exercise, mix it with Eastern mysticism, and voila, you're published in the premier medical journal. So the question now is when I read the New England Journal of Medicine on a topic where I only have passing knowledge, say cardiology or neurology, can I trust the editors? No. The New England Journal, like the Annals of Internal Medicine from 20 years ago, has lost my trust. I'm sure they don't care, but I doubt they will ever get it back. Now, I tend to think that medical knowledge should be free. I do recognize the economic imperatives. It costs money to publish a journal. Yet, when you are taking care of patients, it is galling that you can't find a reference in real time because sometimes the article is behind a paywall. I can always get the reference from the medical library, but Google can give me instant search results. Why not PubMed? I want it now! Enter PLOS, a nonprofit organization of science and physicians committed to making the world's scientific and medical literature a freely available public resource. I admire their core principles that include excellence. PLOS strives to the highest standards for excellence in everything we do, in content, style, and aesthetics of presentation, in editorial performance at every level, in transparency and accessibility to the scientific community and public, and in educational value. Scientific integrity. PLOS is committed to a fair, rigorous editorial process. Scientific quality and importance are the sole considerations in publication decisions. The basis for decisions will be communicated to authors. Cool. And over time, they have published some interesting stuff in infectious diseases. The PLOS Reader is one of my iPad apps. They publish good stuff by and large. Until, well, now. First was... Electrical Impedance of Acupuncture Meridians, the Relevance of Subcutaneous Collagenous Bands, <laughs> and then the Brain Effects of Laser Acupuncture in Healthy Individuals, an FMRI Investigation. The first is a piece of pure tooth fairy science. For those of you who are unaware of the concept of tooth fairy science, it was a phrase coined by Harriet Hall, and I will quote from the Skeptic's Dictionary. Quotes, Tooth fairy science refers to doing research on a phenomenon before establishing that the phenomenon exists. Tooth fairy science is part of a larger domain that might be called fairy tale science. Research that aims to confirm a far-fetched story believed by millions of scientifically innocent minds. Fairy tale, oh man, I can't say that, can I? Fairy tale. Science uses research data to explain things that haven't been proven to have actually happened. Fairy tale scientists mistakenly think that if they have collected data that is consistent with their hypothesis, then they have collected data that confirms their hypothesis. 
talk about the raison d'etre of science-based medicine and your QuackCast. Let's move on to the intro of Electrical Impedance of Acupuncture Meridians. To this day, the fundamental tenets of acupuncture, the acupuncture point and meridian, remain a mystery. What are they anatomically, and how do they function physiologically? Right there, they lose me. There is zero reason to suspect that meridians exist, except for perhaps that execrable diagram in the New England Journal of Medicine notwithstanding. They start with the idea that tooth fairies exist. I mean, meridians exist. And then they proceed to collect data on them. This, by the way, is from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, a hitherto respectable institution. Is the U.S. Northeast going to woo or what? I thought California and Oregon had their reputation of Wackaloon Central, but everything seems to be coming out of the Northeast now. I mean, how embarrassing would it be for the United States if we had to declare Los Angeles as the center of rationalism? Anyway, so they decided in advance that meridians exist. So, what is the source of meridians? The authors postulate there is a relationship of acupuncture points and meridians to connective tissue planes. Why? Well, it was part of a prior study by the same author where they found that acupuncture meridians and points were found to overlie fascial planes between muscles and that this association was determined to be statistically significant based on hypergeometric analyses. Ooh, hypergeometric analyses. I know I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I can't even do a Rubik's Cube. What did they find in that study? They found there wasn't, get this, an 80% correspondence between the sites of acupuncture points and the location of intramuscular or intermuscular connective tissue planes in post-mortem tissue sections. Given that we are mostly meat and gristle, I am surprised it was only 80%. I think this is like medical dousing. There's lots of water under the surface of the earth. And certainly here in the Pacific Northwest, if I were to dig 10 holes, I bet you I would find water in eight of them. But they decided to push ahead. Quote, We assessed the electrical impedance, not impedance, impedance of skin and underlying subcutaneous connective tissue at the large intestine, which is on the upper arm, the liver, which is on the thigh, and the bladder meridians, which is on the calf, and explains why I have to urinate every time I walk. These sites were originally chosen because they represented a good balance of anatomical location and meridian types. Two yang and one yin channel. And then it becomes funny. From the methods. The meridian segments were identified by two separate acupuncturists and ultimately determined by consensus if any disagreements occurred. Huh. In other words, even the acupuncturists don't even know where these damn meridians are. Already they show they don't really know what they are doing. Although the original intention was to evaluate intermuscular connective tissue, in our pretest evaluations, the subcutaneous layers in some individuals even those with BMI less than 30, were as thick as 3 to 5 centimeters in the thigh and the arm, necessitating large needle penetration depths than were considered feasible. 
So they are saying that the putative meridians, which even the practitioners can't agree on, are too deep to be needled by acupuncturists. So the putative anatomical structures of meridians are too deep to be manipulated by the acupuncturist. What? Moreover, the needle insertion into intramuscular connective tissues was complicated by the tight proximity between adjacent muscles. Particularly in LI and LV channels, the narrow dimensions of the intramuscular space along the oblique angles of the fascial planes made accurate placement of the needles technically challenging. Furthermore, the intramuscular trajectory mapped out by imaging, get this, did not consistently match the trajectory mapped out by the acupuncturists. You've got to be kidding. There was an inconsistent correlation between the meridians and anatomy? At this point, you have to wonder why they even bothered with the study, which measured electrical impedance and compared it to U.S. findings. By their own methods, they have demonstrated that they have no reason to suspect that meridians are real. They're deeper than they can be needled. They can't agree on where they are. And if they can find them, they can't needle them anyway. So what they did is they made a ton of measurements and did a ton of statistical analyses. And they found, compared to its adjacent control, the LI meridian was associated with significant decrease in impedance compared to its control for both 10 and 100 kilohertz electrical frequencies. The liver and bladder meridians showed non-significant decreases compared to their respective controls. They almost certainly had the all-too-common outlier of one piece of data in a study that had 28 patients. Someone like shooting at a wall, or in this case throwing feces at a wall, and then drawing a bullseye to see that you actually hit something. They continue in the discussion. This result was similar to the findings identified at the pericardium meridian and the spleen meridian in our previous study. Why this significant relationship occurred at the LI and PC meridian and not others is unclear. Where's Dan Kennison when you need him? Sorry if that hurt your ears. I need Stan Kennison now so bad. But it's very clear. When you're doing nonsense and you're finding significance in random noise. It's the equivalent of having a room full of people repeatedly flip a coin. Someone will get five heads in a row. They conclude with, quote, From the perspective of acupuncture, this study suggests that SQ collagenous bands may underlie the reduced impedance described at acupuncture meridians. It does? Really? Despite these limitations, this study adds substantial insights, really, into electrical impedance associated with acupuncture meridians and connective tissue. Collagenous bands, represented by increased ultrasound echogenicity, are significantly associated with lower electrical impedance and may be the common denominating factor for the reduced impedances reported at certain acupuncture meridians at both subcutaneous and intramuscular deaths. Unquote. It adds no substantial insight. Yet another article where the conclusions are not really supported by the methods or the data. Well, how about the other article? The brain effects. 
of laser acupuncture in healthy individuals an fmri investigation you know i didn't even know there was laser acupuncture the ancient chinese were even more clever than i thought i thought electric acupuncture where they invented duracell batteries was impressive but they invented lasers those ancient chinese no wait this was invented in the 1960s the 1960s where low-level lasers say that three times really fast were directed at acupuncture sites i wonder if they alter soft tissue impedance I think when I have a lecture, I will shine my pointer at the audience and then bill them for the therapeutic intervention as I bounce a laser off their forehead. It seems like any damn intervention that you want can be some form of, quote, acupuncture, unquote. I need to invent beer acupuncture or ice cream acupuncture or even... You know, I actually have frickin' sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their frickin' heads. Now that would be acupuncture. So, why do we study shark laser acupuncture? Because there is some reason to suspect that it is a meaningful therapeutic intervention with a recognized anatomic and physiologic foundation? <laughs> Dream on. Quote, in order to bridge the gulf between high public acceptability and the lack of empirical evidence for many of these treatments, it is important to reconcile them with modern scientific concepts. Note, the purpose already is to prove that they work, not to see whether or not they work. Public relations. People use it, and we have to try and justify it with the real world. Great. So much for first principles. But maybe it will give them a rationale for billing. They decide to ask the question, does laser acupuncture produce brain effects that are biologically plausible? Now, I will grant you off the bat, with no study, that it does. Beer, sex, walking, typing on my Mac, yelling at the neighbor's dogs to shut up, I would bet would all produce brain effects that are biologically plausible. You don't interact with the neurologic system and not get effects. So sticking people with needles or chiropractic manipulation or Tai Chi will all cause biologically plausible brain effects. That's what happens when you interact with the sensory system. And if you touch different parts of the body, you will get different brain effects. You don't need the goofy mappings of Altmed to know that this really happens because unlike reflexology or acupuncture, the brain really does map the body. Interact with the body, you cause brain effects. Big duh! Like needles, the authors note, it doesn't matter where you shine the laser in laser acupuncture. So they picked four sites allegedly associated with depression and a control site on the abdomen. They had a whopping 10 subjects and, quote, the infrared laser was held with light touch on the skin surface by the acupuncturist, allowing, I suppose, the acupuncturist to unknowingly do the Ouija board technique, depending on whether or not the laser was on or off. 
can you say idiomotor effect? Of course, they use a blindfold or a barrier to... No, the subject was told to relax and keep your eyes closed. Of course, no one would cheat just a little by opening their eyes just a smidgen. They found that each acupuncture or control point resulted in a different pattern of brain activity and contrasted against all other acupoints or control points. Duh. You interact with the sensory system in different places. The brain maps it to different parts of the brain and you get a different reaction. People got this published. And then the conclusion. Some of the areas of the brain that are involved in depression are also involved in laser acupuncture. Therefore, laser acupuncture works for depression. Let's see. All men die. Socrates was a man. Therefore, all dead men are Socrates. Jesus. This is the level of rational thought in PLOS. Was it PLOS? And that still begs the primary question, is acupuncture effective in any form for depression? No. It was a meta-analysis of 30 trials with 2,812 participants. And they concluded, bum, 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 bum. There was insufficient evidence of a consistent beneficial effect from acupuncture compared with weightless control or sham acupuncture control. Thank you, Dr. Cochran. I tell my kids that trust is fragile. Once you screw up, it's hard to be trusted again. The Annals of Internal Medicine lost my trust over their Alt-Med series last century, and I still read their articles with a grain of salt substitute. I can't read every original reference. I have to trust that the editors of the journals, especially the top journals, are evaluating their studies for quality. I don't expect the Journal of Merck to have quality, but I expect the New England Journal of Medicine to have higher standards. As a famous philosopher once said, quote, there's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. Yes, indeed. And when it comes to the New England Journal of Medicine and PLOS, I won't get fooled again. The only thing I have left to say about the New England Journal and PLOS is... Stan, I miss you. So that ends... Not the Goblet of Pus, that's my other podcast. This ends the QuackCast, number 52, plus or minus two. Feel free to go on iTunes and write me a glowing review, which my fragile ego demands. And as always, you can join the growing Mark Chrislip multimedia empire at moremark.squarespace.com. Coming up next, QuackCast number 53, plus or minus two. 